0: Today's scripture reading is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 through 18. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is, unse- since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Good morning, church. If scripture reading could earn a gold, that was gold, right? Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter four. A Couple of um, commercials before we get rocking. First of all, I've been asked to remind you of the sign-up sheet out in the foyer for Eastern European missions. They're gonna be having a great banquet in San Antonio, uh, and they'd like to know how many to prepare for, so please, if you're gonna be making your way there, uh, please sign up this morning. It's gonna be the last morning to do that. Secondly, the women had a great women's retreat. Uh, I got a chance to visit with several of them yesterday afternoon and said that Maryland just did a great job with weathering the storms of life and the material she covered there so uh, God answered our prayers for that. Um, this coming Wednesday night because of my absence uh, Glenn Haugen from the International Justice Mission is going to be speaking via DVD mind you but uh, he spoke last year at the Global Leadership Summit and did a phenomenal job with a great topic that I think Uh, will apply to just about everyone here, and that is, what kills your dreams? What kills your dreams? And um, Doug Winters is going to be leading that study and showing that video and answering some questions after that's done, so um, uh, you won't want to miss that. How about our U.S. curling team, huh? (laughs) I couldn't believe it when I saw this in the curler. John Schuster's spectacular move. Doubled team USA score to win gold medal. I'm not sure there's any spectacular <laughs> movement girl. I, I know a couple of weeks ago I, I kind of hinted it in a humorous way about that, but uh, I, I think it's a great sport, but any of you stay up till 12:30 the other night to watch them go for gold? None of you? Oh well, there's a couple here. Well, God bless y'all. God bless America. I mean, an Olympic sport. It sounds like something my wife wears in her hair. Not you put around your neck. So, anyways, U.S. curling. Truth is, though, I am proud of any athlete who wins gold at anything. Um, it's not easy to achieve, and so I am. I'd say all that in humor. But if you miss that miracle, do you believe in miracles? I don't know if that applied to the U.S. team winning on the curling, but if you missed that miracle, this morning we're going to be taking a look at one in John chapter 4. When we read this text, John the Apostle doesn't refer to what takes place here as a miracle. He calls them signs. And he does so because the moments Jesus displayed his supernatural powers among us were never meant to be the destination. They were meant to be a sign that pointed to a greater destination, a more significant destination. Jesus never intended for his miracles to become circus acts, to be wowing to the public. He intended them to become a Messiah testimony, proving that he really was the savior of the world. We don't use the word Messiah much, but for the Jewish people, that's what they were waiting on. We use the word savior more, and that's someone Jesus says you can count on. Now you can talk about signs in a couple of ways. At the rim is a sign that many of you have seen uh, when you've gone shopping or maybe on your way into the park. It's a six-flag sign. It's a great sign. But don't, don't stop at the sign. Go into the amusement part. what it points to, because it's amazing. That's one way we can use the word sign in our language. Another goes something like this. If you walked into a room and you saw that the furniture had been clawed and there's hair all over the furniture and a mouse toy on the floor with one ear eaten off, All of those things taken together would be a sign that pointed to what animal lived in the house. Who said teenager? A cat, sure. If you walked up to the water's edge, a stream's edge in New Mexico, and you saw these tracks or sign as outdoorsmen or hunters referred to it, and next to it was a tree that had some of this sign on it, what would you say made those marks? Who said a bigger teenager? A bear, yeah. They're all signs that point to something that exists but has far greater significance when you meet the one the signs point. John would say that works very well with what he's trying to say in his gospel about what Jesus did among us. The six flag sign's great, but it's nothing compared to the amusement park that's inside those bear tracks by a stream are cool to find, but I can assure you they are nothing like finding the real thing in the forest. John says this is the second of Jesus' signs that he performed. Before we get to the second one, let's pray. Father, every step, uh, this message has been a step in front. And so I ask today that. Uh, as you did on that seashore so many years ago, you take the sack lunch of the message and you break it for this family that's gathered here. That you will bring something in it and through it through the power of your Holy Spirit that helps us to leave here looking a little bit more like your son Jesus. That's not just a prayer I know that I pray, but I know the Assembly of God Church is meeting, First Assembly is meeting right now, and I don't know what part of the service that they're in, but I know what that service is about. So make a big deal about you like we have hoped this one would be today please be with them as they focus on the word as they break bread together together we're asking unite our hearts we want to be a part of the prayer Jesus pray make us one so that the world might believe you truly did see and that he matters and we ask all this humbly in Jesus he hadn't spoken to his dad in over five years that's because their last words were spoken on opposite sides of the room And on the opposite sides of a certain issue and they were angry words and they were wounding words and they were divisive words however they had one mutual thing in common each knew they were last words but here was garrett standing outside his dad's door in beverly hills from the suburbs of buffalo new york he had emptied his savings account to fly across the country to talk to his dad about a grandson his father didn't even know existed. Before we knocked on the door of his dad's mansion, he took a step back to call his wife Carrie and let her know that he was safe. He, he just realized then he hadn't texted her to let, him, let her know that he was all right. But the cell phone wasn't there in his pocket. He was guessing he left it at home. Before he could give that another thought, though, the door opened. And there was his dad to help you? Garrett said, as a matter of fact, you can, Dad. I've got no right to be here, but I've got something I've got to ask you. And I, I understand after the things that, that I said to you the last time that we were together, I understand if you slammed that door in my face. I have no right to say those things to you. I have no right to keep distant from you for these last five years. But you've got a grandson, Dad. His name's Kendon, and he's four years old, but he's dying, Dad. He's dying. I need $30,000 to get him some experimental treatment that may be his last hope, but even that might not work. I know it's asking a lot, but I'm begging you, please, could you help me? It seemed like forever before his dad spoke when he did, here's what he said, if there's no money involved in it, then it seems like you and I can't be family, can we? Jared said, I know it looks that way. Time is short, Dad, please. Please help us. There's nothing in the world that will strip you of your painful memories, or arrogance, or your stubbornness, or your pride, quite like a child of yours. Whatever lines you've drawn politically or monetarily or religiously, those lines can and will be crossed to save one of your kids from dying. And so when we come to John chapter 4, we have no idea what in the world, specifically the lines that are being crossed, we have no idea what protocol is being violated, but a Roman official comes to call on a Jewish rabbi. And none of that matters to the day was about to lose his boy. John writes in verse 46, once more he visited Cana in Galilee where he turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official there whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and to heal his son because he was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you royal official said sir please come before my child is. When John begins to write down the things he remembered about his Savior, his best friend who was also his Savior, the Spirit helps him remember this unusual and unexpected visit from a guy who John simply notes was an official, a Roman official. Now I don't know what registered with John about the guy being an official But regardless of whether it was the robes that he happened to be wearing or the entourage he happened to be traveling with, John doesn't recall much of anything about the marks of him being an official, just the memory of his desperation. And we can guess what his royalty might have involved. Guaranteed welcome at the coffee shop, pension plan, golf every Tuesday, all-expense-paid trip to Rome every year. Who could ask for more? Well, this aficionado would tell you. He would trade the entire package of perks and privileges for just one request granted. His son would be. Now how he heard about Jesus and how he had come to think that he could be of service to this man, we don't know. John's mentioning of this being where Jesus turned water to wine may be a little bit of a hint. Maybe that helps that this supernatural rescue of a young bride's wedding certainly had to be making its rounds amongst the townspeople. And with it, Jesus' reputation was enhanced not just as a great teacher, but now a worker of, most people would say miracles. John would say, son, Well, But whatever brings him to Jesus, he hasn't come to barter. <laughs> There's no, hey, I understand you're launching a new ministry here. I'm sure there's some expenses that need to be covered. I can help you with some of those if. No bartering. No negotiating. Hey, I know people, Jesus. I can help make sure that you're preaching and teaching, and your disciples wherever they need to go. No Rome will hassle you. You handle this problem, of mine. I'll make some make some calls. But he doesn't barter and he doesn't negotiate. He doesn't make excuses. Look, hey, I I don't normally find myself needing anything from anybody. I'm in a pickle. Can you help me? He just begs. And we understand that. There are times in life when the very thing that we have to offer is nothing compared to what we're asking to receive. Not from God, sometimes from God, but also from our bosses. Also from our wives. Sometimes from our teenagers. Sometimes from your dad. This is one of those times. What in the world can you offer in exchange for a child's life? Is there such a bargaining chip? I don't think so. Terms aren't negotiated here. There's no haggling here. No masquerades. No attempted power plays. When we come to John 4, just pleading. And Jesus, who loves a humble heart, says, Jesus, who in Scripture never rejects a pleading heart and a faithful heart, says, listen, unless you see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. That's a little bit unexpected. At least it has been to me this week as I've molded over. Sounds a little bit harsh. Sounds a little bit snarky. It could be. It was coming from anybody but Jesus. But what he does say is true. And sometimes when we hear truth, it makes us uncomfortable. And we're not quite sure what to do with uncomfortable in this nation anymore because we we live to be comfortable. That wasn't Jesus' top priority. Truth was. And what he says is absolutely true. Unless we see signs and wonders, we can't believe. I mean, how can we? Every one of their dogs seems to have some version of the truth about how to live and some figurehead whom we're supposed to look to to give it to us. I don't think Jesus is dishing on this man's effort. I don't think he's dishing on his request by saying, Unless you see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. Oh, great, one more person that needs to see a God trick. I don't think Jesus is being hateful as much as he's being truthful. Because when Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, when he says, you will never believe, I'm going, yes, that's me. I get that. Because I need to see them. Now, what's interesting is, and you may not know this because I don't, you probably don't flip over the Greek any more than I do, but I do maybe a, l- a little bit more occasionally than you do. But in this text here, unless you, that's actually the word y'all. It's plural. Because he's not talking to the man who's coming. He's talking to the crowd of people who's gathered around him. Unless y'all see signs, and unless y'all see them, he'll never believe. Interesting. Jesus says, y'all need to see signs, and I'm here to provide them. But before I move on in a moment to talking about providing them, I just want to go on record as saying one more time, I need to see them. I need to see the signs. I need to see the wonders to help help my faith stay strong. I left my zip drive this morning. We're getting ready to leave um, for a conference in Florida. Now, don't be a preacher hater, okay? But, uh, there's no way I had time I couldn't get here and, and park the car and have Gail and come from trying to leave from here. It was just, it was so I knew I was gonna be driving to the church to get my zip drive to work on the message and then have to drive back well that usually cost me about 30 minutes and I didn't have 30 minutes this morning of all the stuff this week of getting ready and packing and so I get in the truck and I'm going over my message as I'm trying <laughs> And all the way over I'm wondering God am I tracking with what you're trying to say in John 4 am I tracking with what you want to reveal not only to me but our church family and I come to the light right here at Holesworth, where it crosses and intersects with Sydney Baker right there across from the old cemetery in the football field I think most of you know where that's at. and as I'm parked there all of a sudden the light turns green and as I'm making my way across the intersection I see the little symbol over there where the person's supposed to walk, you know, and the light is obviously red from Sidney Baker and this deer, this big old buck comes running right across the pedestrian walk. I mean, right down the center lines like any pedestrian would do. Now that might not mean anything to you, but to me it was, I guess we're tracking God. That's a sign. You need a sign, Jim? Here's your sign. We're tracking. Who gets to see stuff like that? I saw another one at Starbucks this week. I was meeting a brother there for some coffee. So I got there a half hour early just to, just to be quiet with, with God and look at his incredible river there. It was incredible mist was rolling over the water from the south to the north and from the north to the south was a brand new family of ducks about eight of them in a row and they were they were swimming against the mist those little ones were petting trying to keep up I looked at a place on my hand I don't know why but sometime during the morning I did and I looked I saw a place where there were eight stitches required to close it up and I said that hand's healed and it's working cosmic accident really we live in a cosmic accident no way it's a sign the heavens declare that there is a God and he's good our bodies declare there is a God and he's good he's powerful he's creative and he has to be loving that's a sign A coach places his body between another student's body in Florida, and he takes the bullets rather than they receive the bullets. That's not Darwin's theory of natural selection at work. That's sacrificial love at work. Darwin's theory of natural selection says, no, the the, the strong survive, and if there's a young man in there with an AR-15, and he's going to take out some of the wigs, so let him. There's no right or wrong to that. This is natural selection working out here. And if they're weak enough to die, then, then we're just moving on to the next step in the natural selection of our species. We're becoming better, not worse. Really? It's a sign. You're offering your life that another might live That comes from another place in this world. It's sacrificial love. And every time you see it, to me, it fills me with wonder. And it's a sign. Jesus said, unless you see signs, you're not going to believe. And I go, you're absolutely right, Lord. I need them. Just like any one of them in Scripture needs them, I need to see your signs and I need to see your wonders. Because my faith gets so weak sometimes. I needed to go out to the Arms of Hope campus this week and to see the seven wonders that were part of our new mom orientation. Oh my goodness, I, I hope you get a chance to meet some of these ladies. They're stepping out in faith to make Arms of Hope their home, believing that, that they can help them have a life that they haven't been able to find on their own. One of them was given a way out because of Arms of Hope from a cult that had her in bondage. Another is there because she's trying to process a husband who decided that one family wasn't enough for him. He had two. Another's fleeing a husband who mistook her for a punching bag. Nobody in that room was bartering. No one in that room was negotiating. They were all looking for a sign. Is there any love here? Could someone help me find my way here? Myself and Renee and Ricky, I assured every single one of them, it's a great place to experience all of you. Not a perfect place, but a great place. And when you get in your vans and you drive into our parking lot, just the same, not a perfect place, but a great place for you to see. And there's a difference. There's a difference. I, I hope I didn't speak out of turn, but we want to be that kind of sign, don't we there's a world out there who needs that kind of son and it will make them wonder if they see some of those young ladies have never witnessed God some of them have never met God They've made a shell of a God or seen some semblance of a God, but not the living God who understands we need signs, who understands we need wonders to help us believe in Him. And I am so glad, church, He still gives them. Just as He gave this desperate man, here's what Jesus said, Go. Go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and he departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that the boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, about one o'clock, that's when the fever left him. It was then that the father realized that this was the exact time in which Jesus had said to him, Your son is left. So he and his whole household believed this is the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Two quick observations about the second sign that I'm taking away with me. First is this. Jesus is interested in you having faith over some formula. Next slide, guys. Jesus is interested in you having faith over some formula. And you may have turned to John 4 sometime looking for that formula that was going to to get from God what what you needed in the moment, but I want to say that's what I take away from John 4 is this, that if you read this text you're going to walk away from, this, this is no formula for how you get something from God, but it is that this is what God's needing. He's needing your faith. God's not like room service where you place an order and you count on it being delivered. I know there are passages that are preached like that. I know there are preachers who preach that. I'm not one of them. Could never be one of them. Because followers of faith have had their faith shipwrecked because of teaching and preaching like that. Bring your hurts and your helplessness to God is what Peter encourages us to do. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he might lift you up in due time cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. That's a passage of Scripture you may want to write down if you had not read that for a while. Guys, next slide please. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that He might lift you up in due time. But you cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Your hurts, your brokenness, your needs, they may not be obvious to us, but they're obvious to Him. And by... Peter wants to assure us he cares. So take them to him. Tell him about them. But not to negotiate, not to barter, not to make promises you can't keep. But to engage with him. Please know he's not your supernatural waitstaff. He's not your supernatural vending machine. He's your father who doesn't want to engage in a deal. He wants to engage you through faith in him he said well jimmy what do you mean by faith well back to john chapter 4 and this unnamed official all we know about his faith is is he's got some kind of crazy hunch and a high hope that this jesus can help him that's all we know about his faith but i don't think it's a bad definition a conviction that god can and a hope that he will that sounds very similar to what the bible says about faith in hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. next slide guys Without faith, no one pleases God. Anyone who comes to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who truly want to find Him. Not too complicated a formula, is it? If you're looking for one. Because faith isn't some mystical experience. It's not some midnight vision. It's not some voice in the forest. It's a choice to believe that the one who's made it all hasn't left you here to figure it all out on your own and is more than willing to come get in it and walk with you if invited. Two things quickly about this faith that I think the Bible talks about. Number one, it's not that God will do what you want when you exercise it. Faith is a belief that God will do what's right. Secondly, it's more than just something that we think or that we feel in our hearts. No, it's something we act on. Sister, God's help is always there. It's always near. It's always available. But very little results come from doing nothing. This father made the 20-mile journey from Galilee to Capernaum to seek an audience with Jesus. I think that's doing something. No Uber existed in that day. No, Probably no even a chariot to get in there. Maybe, I don't know. Compared to God's part, our part's always in this but it's always, listen to me, necessary. We don't have to do much, but we've got to do something. Write a letter. Ask for forgiveness. Call a counselor. Confess. I did it. Go see a dad. Go find a doctor. Be baptized. Feed a hungry person. Pray. But go. Do something. That demonstrates faith because faith without no effort, James says, is no faith at all. And I've lived that. And I've watched God respond. He's never rejected a genuine gesture of faith. God lives to honor radical faith. God lives to see us risk in faith. When arks are built, lives are saved. When stones are selected, giants fall. When soldiers march, Jericho walls tumble. When staffs are lifted up, oceans part. When a lunch is shared, thousands enjoy a feast. He lives for this stuff. He responds to this stuff. That's one of the things I take away from John 4. The second thing is this. John points to a Savior over a sign. Great sign. Amazing sign. But the reason he calls it a sign is because there's some things coming in the latter chapters that point to something even greater than the signs that we're reading here. And you need to know that because sometimes God's going to say, Sorry, no. No. Not just not yet, but no. He did to his son in the garden just before he was going to be crucified, his son, his son asks him, God, if there's a plan B, I'm I'm open. If there's a way to not drink this cup that you're asking me to drink, I'm open. No heavenly answer that we're aware of, but the next day he's crucified. He's crucified. And an angel couldn't understand it. And no human that was walking with him who had been with him for three could understand, that fits in the plan? Really? But it fit in the plan. It was necessary part of the plan. And Jesus, who knew that God was good and knew that he would do what was right, submitted to that plan, could hear no. And sometimes, so will we. That, that God's writing this story He's inviting us into that it's not about my story for the moment it's, it's actually about a bigger story and if I take my story and I allow Him to write my story into that oh my life gets really good not always easy not always comfy not always wonderful but it gets really good you're looking for a formula, John 4 doesn't offer you one. But if you're looking for a sign that God loves you deliriously, He takes your hurt seriously, it's a sign that can be trusted. It's not a formula, but it's a sign. It's a supernatural event that points to something even more super. Definitely not natural. God getting on a cross, paying your sin debt, when no way in the world you pay this debt off. I don't care how many financial peace universities you go to. You're not paying this debt off, not with your church attendance, not with your donation to the Red Cross or to some church like this, or and not with your little acts of kindness. No way. You're, none of that pays this debt off. You were rebellious. You drew the line in the sand and said, "I know that you think you're God, but I'm going to be God here," and you went ahead and you did whatever that was. Not just once, but repeatedly. And it drove a wedge between you and God that could only be fixed by a sacrificial act, a sign of all signs that God says, I love you this much. I love you this much. And he crawls on his own sign to let us know. It's not about a formula, about how you get your miracle. It's not about anything like that. It's about faith in a God. What about Garrett and his dad? If there's no money involved, then it seems like we can't be a family, can we? Dad said. Garrett replied, I know it looks that way, but dad, time is short. My son's not doing well, please. Help me make the money. And his dad said, I already have Go home, Gary. Is it Carrie that I talked to on the phone? She sounds like you picked a winner. I wired her the money an hour ago. He said, How did you know my wife's name was Carrie? He said, Well, you called my secretary yesterday to see if I was in town or not. And she called to tell me what you needed. And then she also called to tell me that if I didn't give it to you, she was going to kill me. She gave me your cell phone, but when I called it to talk to you, I got carried by accident. Go home, son, and I'm praying that you and your family will come back. I'm praying for you and your family to come back, because you will always be my son. I think you'll find that your dad isn't the dad that you said goodbye to five years ago and I have a hunch that the son I said goodbye to is not the same. What do you say we get to know one another? It might be good for both of us. Do you believe in miracles? <laughs> still happen. I do. And maybe they're better called sons. They always point back to a God who's much bigger than any sign that you've ever experienced, but who knows you need. Father, as we close this time together, I thank you that you realize we we need, maybe not daily, but regularly, signs and wonders in our life to be reminded that you are with us. And I thank you that you're faithful to give them. but I thank you more than anything else for what those signs point to. For a Savior who took my place to pay a debt that I could never pay. We've come today to celebrate that. To be amazed by that again. To be filled with that so that we could leave here and when required and if required to offer that same sacrificial love that you've given to us. And so we come to you right now saying, please help us do that. Some of us right now are begging you to help us do that because we just don't have it in us. Please help us do that. Father, as we uh, sing this song of invitation, I pray you you've brought someone here this morning who would like to say, I'm in. Whose, whose faith is ready to move, ready to go public, ready to be baptized, ready to do whatever you want because they want in on a love like this. Please, would your spirit nudge them to come? And if you brought a brother or sister near who's just, who barely made it, and who wasn't really sure you cared about anything, but some way, somehow, your word has found a way to their heart to reaff- reaffirm to them that you do. But they need some hands around them, praying over them, calling on the name of the powerful Savior that we love and serve. Would you please nudge them? But we ask Him in Jesus Christ, and everyone's thankful. Let's stand in praise in church.